Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. Guys, it is wonderful to be here on your homecoming Sunday. I enjoy, I always enjoy homecoming Sundays, and I appreciate your pastor, Tim, uh, for inviting me to be here today. Uh, I couldn't tell you how many homecomings I've been to through the years, but it's always uh, great because what, what Brother Tim said a minute ago, there are friendships that are renewed, there are uh, just memories of the past, and you know, I've never been in a church that is 237 years old, I don't believe, on Sunday morning, maybe I have and I just don't remember it. But uh, the fact is, it's great to be here today. And the reason I like homecoming, you can notice uh, my the title of my message up on the screen right now. Remember where you came from. That's, that's what we're doing today. We think back on the history of Boone's Creek Baptist Church, but I also think it's really important for us to think about where we came from. I mean, individually. You know, I remember... Uh, most of you know I'm, I introduced myself a few weeks ago when I was here. My family uh, has been in Mississippi for a long time, over a hundred years. But about uh, 35 years ago, 40 actually longer than that, 45 years ago, my brother had a friend in his class in school that was named Gene Braswell, last, same last name as us. But we were told that we were not kin. Well, if we had thought about it, and if the families had thought about it, Braswell is not a really common name, and so the fact is we probably were if we had thought about it. But we've been told for all of our lives that our Braswells were not kin to these Braswells, and nobody thought much about it. Well, about 30 years ago, my dad started doing some study on our family. Not long, uh, actually about 20 years ago, I guess, not long before he passed, my dad was thinking about uh, our family history, and he began to do some study, and he traced our family heritage all the way back to England. He found when we came over to the U.S., we descended down and lived in South Carolina. He found a big Braswell Cemetery that was a couple of hundred years old in um, in South Carolina. Then Braswells went on down to Georgia. You may have heard of Braswells Jelly. Some of you may have heard of that. That's my family back down the line somewhere. I don't get any revenues off of it, though. Um, but then the Braswells moved on over to Alabama, and apparently in Alabama, there was some sort of a family fight. Now, we don't know exactly what happened, but at least one brother separated from the family in Alabama. Well, later... Apparently, all of those Braswells keep, kept going on, and they went over into Mississippi. And that Braswell brother that split off from the family was actually Gene's ancestor. And so we all ended up in the same place in Cleveland, Mississippi. You know, it was fun to find out that Gene actually was kin to us. It was fun to hear about our family history, to find out where we had come from. Today, I want you and I to stop for these next few minutes. I know you're like me. You can already smell the fried chicken. You can already smell the good food. I'm not going to preach. I promise I won't preach more than an hour. And so we'll get in there and we'll be able to eat in just a little while, okay? But I want us to think about where we've come from. 
And if you've got your Bibles, open up with me to Psalm 14. Now, we're going to read there in just a second, but I want you to know this is an odd little psalm. It doesn't follow all of the patterns that David usually follows. It's really, it's broken down into two sections, verses 1 through 3 and then verses 4 through 6 or 7. There's only seven verses. Uh, Seven sort of by itself. But I want you to look as it screams out to us, don't forget where you came from. Let's look at Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. The Word of God says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there, is, if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Guys, if you look at this passage, it tells us our history. It says there is no one who is good, not even one. It begins by saying in verse 1, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The word fool there, I don't know about you, but in my house, we were not allowed to use the word fool. You couldn't call your brother a fool uh, because of Matthew 5.22, if I'm not mistaken. It says, if you call your brother a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. And my mom took that very seriously. And so if she heard us use the word fool, we would probably get in trouble. That is a very, very strong word. In scripture, it's the word nabal in Hebrew. And it means someone who, it's not someone who's making a theological statement here. When it says the fool says in his heart there is no God, it's really talking about his life choices. It's a guy who just makes really bad life choices. And so this passage says there is a man who acts foolishly and by the way he acts, he is saying, I'm really not paying attention to God. He might actually believe there is a God. He might profess faith in a God. But his lifestyle is centered around himself. And he is saying, there's no God. I'm going to live the way I want to. And it says, they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. It says they're bad people. You know, Matthew Rose is a guy. He's on staff at a church out in California. And I like what he said. He said, Most of us like to think we come from really good stock. Now, I'm a farm boy, and you know what you mean by good stock? You know, good stock horses, good stock cattle. You come from a good lineage, a good line. Most of us like to believe that we come from good stock, that we are spiritually from a nice street with picket fences and petunias, and we're just a nice, good folk. We're nice, good folk. But this passage of Scripture says that is not true. This passage of Scripture says that you are bad. You come from bad stock. You're not good folks. I'm not good folk. It says that we were raised in a dilapidated, broken down, sin-saturated house on foolish drive at the corner of Corrupt Lane a couple of blocks down from Apathetic Avenue. That's where you were raised. 
That's your history. That's where you and I both come from. Look what it says here. It says, they all have turned aside. They all have become corrupt. There is none that is good, not even one. It says in verse 2, they don't understand God's ways. They don't seek after God. That's your heritage. That's my heritage. If you don't believe it, you can jump over if you want to, to Ephesians chapter 2. And you can look at verses 1 through 3 over there. And Paul said the exact same thing that David said. Look what he said. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Guys, will you just stop and think a little bit about your history? Stop and ponder that for just a second. I believe we need to settle in and remember where we came from. We're not from sweet, good, kind, gentle, loving stock. You were not born into this world into a godly life. You were not by nature godly. Now you might have said that you believe who God is. I believe that Nabal did. You know, if you look at Nabal, there's a guy named Nabal. Wouldn't you hate for your name to be foolish or fool? If you look at 1 Samuel 25.25, he wasn't the king. He had been anointed already by, by Samuel, but David was running from Saul at this point. And David had helped this guy named Nabal. He had protected Nabal, Nabal's servants. And David said, look, let's go have a party with Nabal. You know, I've helped you. Let's celebrate together. We've got a little bit of peace right now. And so he, David sent his servants to go and talk to Nabal and say, Hey, dude, we're coming to your house and we're going to have a party. And Nabal treated David's servants terribly. Treated David's name terribly. He did not recognize who David was. And David got mad. And David was going to wipe him out. And so he took his army and was going to Nabal's house to clean the clocks, okay? He was going to clean him up. And Abigail, who later became David's wife after Nabal died, Abigail came running out and she bowed down in front of King David and she said, I am so sorry, my husband is acting just like his name. <laughs> I hope my wife never says anything like that about me. My husband's acting a fool. Guys, that's the way you and I were raised. We were by nature, Scripture says, sons of disobedience. By nature, you and I were children of wrath. By nature, we were from a dilapidated, broken down, down sin-saturated house. 
at the corner of Foolish Drive and Corrupt Lane, about three blocks away from Apathetic Avenue. That's who you are. That's who your history is. That's where you came from. Let that sink in. You come from corruption. Abominable deeds. Rebellion against God. Children of wrath. I'm serious. Would you try to ponder that and let that sink in? I don't think we talk about it. We don't like to talk about our wretched past. We don't like to remember where we came from. I think there's times when I need to stop and say to myself, on my own, I am not good. On my own, I cannot understand the things of God. On my own, I have no desire to seek God. I am radically and hopelessly lost on my own. That's my heritage. Scripture says in verse 3 of Psalm 14, There is no one who is good. No, not one. But then there's a huge switch starting in verse 4. Something radical happened in verse 4. I want to read verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 14. And I want you to see if you can pick it up. Can you see what happened? Something happened. Everyone, it says, is foolish. Everyone was raised at at Foolish Drive and, and Corrupt Lane. They're just a few blocks away from Apathetic Avenue. That's who you and I are. But then something happened. Look at verse 4. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people? Wait a minute. We've got two groups all of a sudden. Verses 1 through 3 said, Everyone had done abominable deeds. They were all lost. God searched the whole world, it said. And there was none who was good, none who understood, none who sought Him. No one was good. And then in verse 4, Have they, all the evildoers, have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people? We've got the evildoers and we've got my people now. What happened? Let's keep reading. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat up bread and do not call upon the Lord? They are uh, there. They are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You who would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Look at verse 4, my people. Verse 5, generation of the righteous. Verse 6, it says the poor who, is, who are under the refuge of God. We've got two groups here. What happened, y'all? Something happened between verse 3 and verse 4. Now in David's psalm, you've got to imply it just a little bit. But I'm going to tell you what happened. It actually happened back in Genesis chapter 12. Did you know that Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, the father of the, the, father of the Israelite people, do you know that Abraham was actually a pagan? 
Did you know that? If you look at Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2, it says that Terah, Abraham's dad, and Abraham worshipped other gods. They were pagans. And then Yahweh, God, came to Abraham and he said, you're going to follow me. So God didn't wait for Abraham to come to him. It wasn't that Abraham was looking for God and worshiping God. God went to Abraham. So I ask you, what happened between verse 3 and verse 4? How did we go from there is no one who is good, no, not one, to my people, the generation of the righteous, those who are in refuge under God? How did we go from everyone is bad to now there are some who are my people and the generation of the righteous? Well, I'll tell you what happened. God happened. Grace happened. Jump back over to Ephesians chapter 2 and go to verse 4. See, we just read in verses 1 through 3. It said in verses 1 through 3, all of you, all of us, we all came from dead stock. Every one of us did abominable deeds. Every one of us lived in that broken down, dilapidated house at the corner of Foolish Drive and Corrupt Lane. All of us. In that sin-saturated house, we could not get to God on our own. And then, though, He came and He changed your address. He changed my address. He changed our identity and our address. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God. You were dead in your sins and trespasses... But God, you were sons of disobedience, but God, you were children of wrath, but God. Guys, those are the two most amazing words in all of scripture, but God, you and I were not good. We were from bad stock. We did abominable deeds. We were children of God's wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, keep going, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Guys, do you know what happened? God sent his son, Jesus. To come to your and my broken down sin saturated house. At the corner of Foolish Drive and Corrupt Lane. And it says. We're going to read it in Ephesians just in a second. It says that he carried us to a new address. It says in in Ephesians says he raised us up. Here's what it looks like to me. It looks like Jesus came into my sin-saturated house, picked me up, threw me over his shoulder, and carried me to his house. That's what it looks like. He did it when he died on the cross. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Guys, today is a simple message. 
On your homecoming day, when you remember the history of Boone's Creek Baptist Church, and by the way, next year, y'all are celebrating 237 years. Boone's Creek Baptist Association, we're going to celebrate 200 years next year. I don't know if you know that or not. So we'll be doing some celebrating on our own next year at Boone's Creek Baptist Association. It's a good time for us to remember where we came from, to remember our heritage. It's great for you to remember how many buildings have been built and how things were torn down. I know Providence, Clark County, Providence Baptist Church in Clark County, they like to talk about how the Indians burned one of their buildings and all that kind of stuff. It's a great, I love the history. But you know what? As beautiful as this edifice is, this is not the church. This happens to be a building that the church gets to come and meet in. Don't y'all get all hyped up about this building. And don't you get too hyped up about 237 years of history of y'all meeting together. What you need to get hyped up about is that you were once dead and now you're alive. You were once dead, a child of disobedience, a child of wrath, and Jesus came picked you up out of your sin-saturated apartment and took you to His house, seated you in the heavenly places. Now, I don't care what your theology is about sovereignty and about free will and all those different things that folks like to fight about right now, but can I tell you that salvation began with God, it was carried out by God, and it will end with God. It has nothing to do with you. You had nothing to do with your salvation, okay? Just like Abraham had nothing to do with becoming the head of the, of the Jewish people, God went and got Abraham. Scripture says in John chapter 6, God came and got you. That's what it says right here in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 6, verse 4, 5, and 6. It says God came and got you. Okay? It says in verses 8 and 9, this is what we all like to quote. We like to quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Did you hear that? This is not of your own doing. You did nothing. It is a gift of God. He gave you the grace and He gave you the faith. It's not a result of anything you have done so that nobody can boast. God went to your broken down, sin-saturated house at the corner of Foolish Drive and Corrupt Lane and said, this one's mine. And I'm taking him back. I'm taking her back. Guys, please remember where you came from. As we celebrate the wonderful history of Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you need to understand your heritage spiritually. David got it. Look at verse 7. I jumped around a little bit. The guys on the PowerPoint are doing a good job back there. Look at Psalm 14 and verse 7. David understood where salvation came from. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of His people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. 
Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. You know what that means? The city called Zion, it's been called the city of David. But if you look at Scripture, most of the time, especially the closer and closer and closer you get to the New Testament, Zion is always related to the dwelling place of God. So when he says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. He's saying, oh, that God would save Israel. David understood where salvation came from. Now, here's how I want to close today. I told you a short message. I usually, my wife's going to be surprised. I usually preach long messages. But today's simple. As you remember where you came from, I want you to ask yourself a few questions. Do you remember a time when you recognized your personal, listen now. Do you remember a time when you recognized your personal wretchedness? You probably don't like to think about that you were wretched, do you? Wretched's a hard word. But I've already told you, I'm the same way. I'm no different from you. Scripture said I did abominable deeds, that I was corrupt, that I did not understand the ways of God and did not seek God. There was nothing good in me, nothing good in me. And I will tell you, there was nothing good in you. You were just as wretched as me. But here's what I want. Listen now and stick with me real for five more minutes. Do you remember coming to a place where you recognized your sin? You recognized that you were a child of wrath. You recognized that you were in rebellion against God. You recognized that you were a sinner. In the church, I'm afraid we soften this up so much. Well, everybody sins and we make it easy. No, the fact is everybody was a sinner. The fact is everybody was in abject rebellion against God. You were spitting in God's face. All of us were. Do you remember coming to a time when you recognized that you we're in rebellion against God and it broke you. See, if you did that, that means that God spoke to you because there was nothing inside of you that could have recognized that. You were by nature, I was too. We were by nature sinners and we could not recognize the love and glory and grace of God. We did not chase after God. Oh God, I need to be saved. That's not scriptural. You didn't pursue God. God pursued you. You did not go after God. God came after you. That's what David was talking about when he said, God looked across the earth and there was no one that was good. No, not one. And the very next verse, he says, my people. God went and got them. Do you remember when God came and got you? I'll tell you how it looks. 
I'll tell you how it happened with me. All of a sudden, one day, you were overwhelmed. Maybe it happened over weeks or months, but you came to a time in your life where you were overwhelmed between your, in your separation from God. You realized that God was good and you were not. And it upset you. It hurt. I remember as a 13-year-old boy, it hurt me when I recognized how far from God I actually was. I'd been raised in the church. If you've heard my testimony before, I've said this everywhere I've gone for 30 years, probably longer than that. I started attending church nine months before I was born. I really did. I've never not been in church. And so I could tell you all the Bible stories. I could quote all the Bible verses. I was a good kid. I was a good church kid. But when I was 13, God began to draw me unto himself and he showed me my wretchedness. And there came a time when literally I fell down on my knees by myself. On a sidewalk up in New Mexico, I fell down on my knees and I cried out, God save me because I recognized my sin as a 13 year old boy. Have you ever come to a place where you were broken over your sin? Have you ever come to a place, do you remember a time when you recognized there was no course for salvation except through God? That He was your only avenue of escape. He was your only opportunity for salvation. I told you what I did. When I recognized it, I cried out, literally out loud, God save me. I didn't say a sweet sinner's prayer. God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, will you please take away my sin and come into my heart. Now there's nothing wrong with a sinner's prayer. But I find in my life, I could not have prayed that prayer. Because I recognized how far I was from God. I couldn't imagine Him listening to me. And so I simply cried out, Please save me. I'm broken. You're the only one that can fix me. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life? Where you cried out, God save me. And you sense God drawing you to Himself. Wrapping his arms around you. Have you ever had that moment where you knew you had been saved? Your world turned upside down. For the first time in your life, you understood safety. For the first time in your life, you understood security. For the first time in your life, you were no longer afraid. Of life after death. If you've never experienced that. But maybe today. You're feeling that drawing in your heart. You're feeling that understanding. Oh my. I still live at foolish drive and corrupt lane. I still live in that broken. Sin saturated house. But God, I feel you drawing me unto yourself. Today, I need to be saved. Jesus, please save me. Today, if you want to cry out to him, just cry out.
You can do it out loud. You can do it silently. In just a moment, we're going to have the traditional hymn of invitation. You can come down and talk to Brother Tim. I'll be over here. You can talk to me. You can probably talk to some other folks in this sanctuary that you know know Jesus. But don't leave here today if you feel God calling you. Don't leave here today without getting it right with Him. Because He's drawing you unto Himself. And until you respond in beauty to His calling, you're never going to have that sense of peace that I had when I was 13 years old. I'm 59 now, so however many years that is, somebody added up, what, 46 years? I've literally, in 46 years, I know this is odd, in 46 years I've never questioned my salvation. I had such an amazing moment with God on that sidewalk in New Mexico when I was 13 years old. My life changed. I want you to know the same Jesus that I know. Now there may be people here in this congregation who you do remember that day that you understood your wretchedness, your sinfulness. You did have that life-changing moment with Jesus. You know that you were saved. You are confident of your salvation. But you know what? Over the years, you might have gotten a little bit lazy in your, in your faith. And you might be acting like a fool right now. You might be acting like Nabal. We just didn't recognize the king when he stands right in front of you. Like he didn't recognize who David was. Maybe you've gotten loose in your faith. You're not spending time in God's word. You're not spending time in prayer. You still come and sit in the pews on Sunday morning. But your life is not very focused on Jesus. Now, I believe in security of the believer. So if you've been saved, you're saved. But I'm going to tell you, if you're not living for Jesus right now, you are not going to experience the abundant life that he wants you to have. When I talk to people across countries, I've traveled all over this world. I've preached in 30-something states. I don't know how many states I've preached in now. And I talk to people in congregations. I find most people don't understand what abundant life is all about. And you know why? Because they're not living for Jesus. They check the boxes, but they're not living in submission to Jesus. There may be some of you here today, you know you're saved, but you do not know what abundant life is. You don't know what it feels like to wake up in the morning excited about living for Jesus one more day. You don't know what it's like to wake up in the morning and speak your first words to the Lord because He's the most important one in your life. That you'd rather talk to your Jesus than you would to your wife or your husband or your kids or your grandkids. Maybe today is the day that you want to come down here and lay some things down at this altar. Maybe today's the day that you need to go across the aisle and speak to somebody that you've got something, something you've got a problem with. 
It happened 30 years ago and nobody else even remembers it, but you do. And you're still mad about it. And today's the day you need to let go of it. Maybe you need to get on your cell phone and call somebody that's not here anymore. And you need to get some things right. Because it's blocking you spiritually. And you cannot receive the blessings from God because you've got sin in your life with broken relationships. Guys, for you, to, for you and I to enjoy homecoming the way I think God wants us to enjoy homecoming. It's not about me building relationships with you. That's going to happen. It's about me and you building relationships deeper with God. It's not about us feasting on the chicken and mashed potatoes and greens, beans, and whatever else is in that other room in there. It's about you and I feasting on the Word of God and being filled every day. And we're so hungry when we wake up in the morning, we can't wait for another helping. That's where abundant life comes from. It's about Jesus being your best friend. And if He's not your best friend now... I think there needs to be some confession. There needs to be some asking for help. There needs to be some lifestyle changes. Guys, we lost some votes last week. And there were a lot of folks that called themselves Christians that made Nabal-like decisions at the voter's ballot. Everybody's getting all excited. Yeah, that's right, preacher. Yeah, that's right, preacher. You do the same thing. Quit pointing your fingers. When I was preparing this message, I had to look for Nabal-like decisions in my life because they're there. And I had to confess and get some things right with God so that I could experience His fullness one more time for one more day. And that's what it is. One day at a time. Living for Jesus Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.